This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Boys and girls, here's Dick Tracy. Detective Inspector Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Well, boys and girls, listen carefully to today's urgent message from our United States government to you. You know, if you want to lead the parade in the great national stop waste campaign to help win this war, here are five things that you can do. One, take care of your clothes and make them last longer. Hang them up every night. And always wear your rubbers and raincoat in wet weather. Two, take care of your playthings. Put them away where they can't get lost to broken. Three, be careful of mom's furniture. Don't jump on the chairs or sofa with your feet. Four, be careful to turn out all the lights not in use and turn the gas and the water faucets clear off. And five, be careful not to waste the fuel oil and coal that heats your home. Close the door quickly when you come in. And keep windows closed during the day if it's cold outside. Don't try to heat the whole outdoors. Remember, boys and girls, if you all do these five things to stop waste, you'll be using less, and it'll be more left to send to our fighting men. So start helping to save waste today. And now, Dick Tracy. And Captain the Great, the celebrated Jackie's artist, managed to the seriously, but was learned that he had in his possession information which might be of some help to the Alliance. That is why Dick Tracy was more than usually interested in finding him if he's still alive. Now, we know, although Tracy does not, that Chuckles, the famous clown, and Spalding, the ringmaster, are actually espionage agents working for the Nazis. At Tracy's suggestion, Junior has taken a job at the church. But that's why she's in this today. We find ourselves under the big top for the young detective. <laughs> Holy mackerel, Mr. Stumble. I've carried more pairs of water for these elephants than I can count. Yeah, I don't read a lot of letters, do you? Now, please, please, destroy it. Now, Mr. Stumble, don't they ever get filled up? Yes, sir, I reckon they're filled now. You're going to bring them all out of it. And while you're about it, I wish you'd stop calling me Mr. Stumble. Just Stumble, you know. Stumble? That's right. You see, Stumble ain't my real name. I'm just called Stumble on account of I'm quite a big and awkward, and you always stumble over my name so much. 
They're going to be even awkward and stumbling soon. Hey, you still are a powerful man, aren't you, Stumble? Yeah, I've got a lot of spirit, but I ain't got much brain. I'm a very dumb guy. <laughs> you don't think much of yourself, do you? Oh, I'm good for the work I do, but I can never do nothing else. Just feeding the elephants and the gorillas and the other animals is about all I'm capable of doing. Why, uh, it's time to feed the gorilla now. You want to help me? Yeah, I'll Yeah, right, right. Oh, okay. You see that bunch of bananas over there? Uh-huh. Well, bring me on. I carry this pail of milk. Oh, yeah. What if a girl that eats bananas and milk? Yeah, that and cereal. Tons and tons of them, it sometimes seems to me. And lots of other... Oh, something. Oh, stumbles. Yeah, it's rather little of a milk, too. Well, Bethel won't mind, I guess. Bethel? Who's Bethel? The gorilla. You mean to say what's called in the ring master calls that mighty, massive, donut denizen of the African jungle is called Bethel? Well, that's what I call him. You see, he likes me. With me, he's gentle as a baby. I used to know a fellow was also kind of gentle, like a baby, and his name was Cecil. Oh, I called it really Cecil, too. Oh, there's Cecil now, see? Oh, how could I miss seeing him? Sorry, he practically fills up the entire cage. Yeah, he's a big boy, all right. He's just like you. Big and powerful and dumb and awful. Maybe that's why he loves me, I don't know. We're king of the kind. Oh, boy, he's big, all right. Look, we're at least 500 pounds. Say, you wear about 200, don't you, Summer? It's me, that's right. How did you know? We're doing the detective train ourselves to know anything. Holy mackerel. Ah, now, don't be afraid. He's just saying hello, that's all. Hello, Cecil. Ah, this is a friend of mine named Julius. You two got to get to know each other and be friends. Are you saying that for a friendly welcome? Oh, sure, sure. I guess let you get the cage open. Get the cage open? Sure. Can't make friends with no one unless you can shake hands with him, can you? You mean I'm going to shake hands with him? Yep. That's it. How you been doing? Oh, fine. That's good. <laughs> and this is Jimmy. Jimmy's got some bananas for you. Shake hands with him, Jimmy. Look, 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 look. What's the matter? You lose your tongue? No, it's my nerves. Elephants and giraffes, boy, ain't nothing to be appeared on. And you don't have to worry about Cecil if he's your friend. I'll shake hands with Cecil, huh? Yes, ma'am. You shake hands with him. Oh, oh my hand, where's it disappear to? Cecil's holding it. Oh, look at that. He's putting an arm around your shoulder. Easy now, Cecil. He's not a big fellow like me. I feel like I'm wearing a live fur coat. You know, I'm not afraid anymore. It's just like you said. He is like a baby. Oh, sure. He wouldn't like nobody unless you're mean to him. Or to somebody he likes. Then you should be. A fellow got me fighting him one day. Oh, a little argument. One word brought on another. You know how it is. And we had a fight. But Cecil's gun had busted out of his teeth. Think the boy was ever which way. If he'd have got out, he'd have sure made mincemeat of that fellow. Hey, but he didn't get out, did he? No. And I made mincemeat of the fellow. I'm awkward, but I'm powerful. Wow. Well, you've got a little bit of Let's get around about our business. Mm-hmm. i got a lot to do here. Yeah. Is it not a Hey, hey, tell me. You got any 
Girls and boys, here's Dick Tracy with today's second message from Uncle Sam to you. Listen, boys and girls, if Mom has to keep after you to change your school clothes when you get home, let me tell you something. Don't wait for Mom to tell you. No, sir. For the simple reason that by taking care of your clothes and other things so that they'll last longer, you're helping Uncle Sam increase war production for our soldiers. Because the fewer clothes and playthings our workers have to make for you, the more tanks and planes they can make to help win the war. So, save clothes, shoes, playthings, and mom's furniture. Make what you have do. And you can fight waste other ways. Keep the water faucets closed tight. Don't let the water run when you wash your hands. No, sir, use the chopper. And don't leave the basement lights burning either. Okay? All right, God, Dick. You know, those things are mighty important for all of us to follow. And remember, boys and girls, you can beat all that grown-up fighting waste if you really want to. So let's see you get started right away, stopping waste at home. And now, back to Dick Tracy. Hello. Hello. Hello, McHenry. Dick Tracy. Listen, Matt, you're the best girl I know. I want you to take three men and keep an eye on a certain apartment on the east side. I don't want any trouble. And above all, you've got to keep out of sight. Now, here's the address. And as soon as you can assign your men to it, the better. Listen again tomorrow, same time, same station. For more exciting adventures with Detective Inspector Dick Tracy. This is John Gardner speaking. Hey, boys and girls, there's a double thrill in listening to Dick Tracy. It's an exciting, action-packed story that you can talk about with all the other girls and boys in the neighborhood. And it's something more. It's a story that soldiers, sailors, and grown-ups from coast to coast enjoy just as much as you do. Well, you know, Dick Tracy's adventures appear 83 million times every week in about 200 newspapers. And this famous radio story of Dick Tracy is heard over on a hundred radio stations from coast to coast. The Tracy News Network gives you about transcription. This is the Blue Network. Behold my process. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot on surprises and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, Daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Yahoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as low as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media dot U-S forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it! You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. This is Dick Tracy. On the case of the empty safe, stand by for action. Let's go, man. This is Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. In yesterday's story, you saw how the evidence began to pile up, making Tracy sure that Spike Connolly was responsible for the dynamiting of the empty safe. 
He remembered, too, how Sergeant Martin, while distributing posters of the description of Spike and his girlfriend, reported to Tracy his suspicions concerning the occupants of a certain house. Jumping into the car, Dick and Pat were soon there. While Dick rang the front doorbell, Pat went around to the rear to forestall any escape from that direction. Inside, Spike and Gert didn't know of Pat's whereabouts, made their way slowly toward the rear of the house. Today, Spike and Gert are almost at the back door. Dick is still ringing the front doorbell. Listen. Just follow me, Gert. We'll get out this back door and beat it. But they probably got cops all around the block. We're never going to get away with this, Spike. Shut up and come on. Head for the back door. Listen. They're surrounding the block. Never mind that. Once we're around here, we can get the car out of the garage and give him a flip. Now, take it easy. I'm going to open the door. It's okay. Come on. All right, not so fast, you fool. Stand right where you are. Oh, he's got... Never mind that, sister. Just stay right where you are. Now, look, mister, we ain't done nothing. We were just going... Save on... that. Save that. I know who you both are. Now, stick out your hands. Are you going to handcuff us? Well, these aren't exactly pearl bracelets. Stick them out, I said. Now, just a minute, mister, before you get funny with those handcuffs. Just who are you? Oh, a wise guy, eh? Well, you'll find out that soon enough. No more fooling now. I haven't got any time to waste. Dick Tracy's around the front. Dick Tracy? Oh, yes. Oh, see, you want to play that way, eh? Then here goes me, but... Hit him, Gert. Not this time. Now, how do you like that, eh? You head it up. Oh. Oh. Come on, Spike. I knocked him out. I hit him with my shoe. Let's go. Yeah. Head for the garage. I saw a car in there. The door wasn't locked. Quick, get in. Now, this thing will only start. Spike, Spike, we can't go out the front way. The cops. Hang on. Gee, Spike, we made it. That's right, kid. I had a drive through the back of the garage. You're up to go out in the front. They're after us. Look out the back. Can you see them? No, I can't see them. driving right now to think of anything else. What are you stopping for, Spike? I ain't stopping. Something's the matter with this car. What? We're out of gas. Shut up. Oh. That's what it is. This bus didn't have any gas in it. Uh, I'd better get out and take a look. Oh. Gas gauge seems to be busted. Hurry up, Spike. Give me time, will you? think so. I only had a tank filled this morning. You did have it filled, didn't you? Yeah. I had it filled right to the top. Well, I'll shut this thing off and come over and have a look. Maybe I can help you. Well, if you have a tank full of gas, maybe it's the ignition. That's just what I was looking at when I lifted the hood. I don't know much about car engines myself. Hey, just step to one side and let me have a look under that hood. I've been fixing my own cars since the days of the old Tim Lizzie. Well, now, ain't that nice. Oh. Come on, Judge. Gee, you're knocking cold. Let me carry him over to the bushes. Okay. Oh. Then we'll take his car. Oh. Far enough? Yeah, this will be okay. I don't want him to be seen from the road. 
Now, come on. Come on, Bert, will you? Come on. This head of mine feels as if it had stopped a Nazi shell. Wow. That dame certainly put everything she had behind that shoe. Look at the lump on the top of my head. Why, well, can't even get my hat on it. Oh, wait till I lay hands on that pair again. Oh, let's get back to the car. I want to contact headquarters. Uh, they, they certainly made a sucker out of me. I think of that dame getting into the strap. That's what fooled me. Where's the rest of the boys, Dick? I sent them on a patrol. Driving through the back of the garage completely caught them flat with it. Oh, here's the car, Pat. Hey, Dick. Isn't that our signal? That's all right. Now turn up the amplifier. Inspector Tracy, go ahead. Sergeant Ross speaking, Inspector. Go ahead, Ross. Class just came in from the highway patrol. I think it may have bearing on your case. Yes? Alan Preston of 575 South Street reports that he stopped to help two motorists that seemed to have mechanical trouble with their car. A man and a woman? That's right. The minute he got the chance, the man slugged Preston, dragged him into the bushes and took his car. I've questioned Preston. The description of the man and woman tallies with your bulletin. Any more details? Uh, the license number of Preston's car was 4159-M. Like in Morton. With a black sedan. Four-door, 1938 model. Good work. Uh, here's something else that may help, Inspector. Just as Preston was coming to, he saw the car turn around and start back in a northeasterly direction. The man was driving. The woman was sitting alongside of him in the front seat. Good. Either one of them armed? Uh, apparently not. Thanks, Sergeant. Pat and I will take over. Keep all men on 24-hour duty. Have them stand by for instructions. And pass the word around to the rest of the cars. Have them converge toward Area B. That ought to take in enough to cross the trail. Yeah, I'll get right to it, Inspector. Good luck. Now, let's go, Pat. You're well enough to drive? My head drops a little. It's going to be all right. Uh, do you want to go direct on this highway or shall we take the back roads? Back roads, Pat. They won't stick to the highway. They'll know we'll have every man after them. Step on it. And get to the junction of this highway and number six as fast as you can. Uh, no luck, Dick. Been over every back road of the way. No sign of them. That doesn't mean they aren't around here somewhere. They have to be bad. They can't just disappear. Well, I'm beginning to think they can. We've seen six of the other cars, and they all say the same thing. No sign of them or the car. You know, I hope they might have trouble with that one, too. Pull over, Pat. I want to check with the rest of the cars. Okay. Tracy calling car seven. Come in, seven. Car seven. Go ahead, Inspector. What's the report? Nothing to report, Inspector. We're number 14. No traces as yet. Keep me advised. Yes, sir. Inspector Tracy calling car five. Come in, please. Car five, Inspector. I heard you talking to seven. My report's the same. Okay, five. We'll keep you posted. Proceeding according to plan. Inspector Tracy calling car six. Come in, please. O'Connor in car six. Heard your questions. We haven't got much, Inspector, but here it is. We questioned a farmer walking along the road. Then he thought he'd seen a car like the one we described with a man and woman in it, but couldn't be sure. What direction was it going in? Well, according to this man, it was proceeding in a northwesterly direction. And when last seen, was about four miles from the intersection of Middlebush Road and the highway. Thanks, O'Connor. That and I will be right up there. The rest of you stand by. The rest of you stand by. That applies to all cars. That is all. Let's go, Pat. You know, Dick, I think I know just about where O'Connor meant. It's right up in the heart of the farming district. I know, Pat. When we get up there, I think I'll do a little inquiring on my own. Strangers always attract attention in rural districts. We'll start questioning some of the natives. And I'm willing to bet we'll soon run across a clue.
Hey, Dick, why don't we go ask that guy standing in front of that farmhouse? That's just what I was going to do, Pat. Good afternoon, sir. Howdy. A nice day. Good stand a little rain. Um, I thought you might be able to help us out. We're from headquarters. Figured you were. I saw your car drive up. We're trying to locate a man and a woman. I haven't that... seen him. How do you know you haven't? Because I know a man and woman when I see one. No, you misunderstand. This man and woman were in a car, a stolen car. We had information that they might have come this way. You see, these two are criminals. They're wanted by the law. You sure you haven't seen any strangers around here? <clears throat> now, listen, you're weak, ain't No here. use, Pat. Come on. Yeah, but this guy... Come did... on, Pat. Okay, okay. So, we'll try the next place and get the same kind of an answer. Now, if it had been me, I would have... Look behind these trees. Now, what's all this about? I thought we were going to the next place and see if we could pick up Spike's trail. We don't have to go to the next place. Spike and the girl in the house we just left. What? That's right. Well, tell me, how do you figure that out? When I was talking to the farmer, he tipped me with a wink. They're there all like that. But why didn't he say so? Probably Spike or the girl was holding a gun on him. I can't be sure of that, but mark my words, they're in there all right, and we have to get them out. Now, let's keep on the cover and get back to the car. I want to contact all the other cars and have them block off every path or road in this area. This time, we're not going to miss. In a moment, we return to Dick Tracy. But first... Boys and girls, Dick Tracy fans, you know, teamwork in everything we do is very important. And no one knows it better than the soldiers in our combat ground forces. Men like First Sergeant Marion Hitchens, for instance. While he was manning an anti-aircraft gun in the Admiralty Islands, Japanese ground troops opened up nearby on American soldiers with heavy grenade and small arms fire. Under heavy fire, Sergeant Hitchens dashed to a machine gun and single-handedly placed heavy and accurate fire on the Japs. In addition to killing at least 12, he helped stop the enemy attack. Now, boys and girls, that's teamwork where it counts, where a man thinks only of his buddies and not of himself. Every one of our servicemen belong to the same fighting team. And every one of us here at home who buys a war bond joins that team. We don't have to worry about Jap bullets or grenades, and our job at home is much the easiest of all. We've only got to buy more bonds and keep them so that the fighting members of our team never have to let up for the lack of a single gun or bullet. So boys and girls, do your bit for the team. Buy that war bond today. And now back to the Tracy. You, farmer, get back in here. I'll let you have it with your own gun. You sure you didn't tip him off? He couldn't, Mr. Spike. I heard every word he said. Anyhow, they've gone off. Okay. But if they come back, this guy gets it with his shotgun. Quietly making their way back to the car, Dick and Pat began contacting all the patrol cars and giving them instructions. Be sure to tune in tomorrow, same time, same station, for the adventures of Dick Tracy. This is George Gunn speaking. Boys and girls, every day, thousands and thousands of new friends join the ranks of fans who faithfully follow the adventures of Dick Tracy and Pat Patton. We don't mean just youngsters either. No, indeed, there are plenty of grown-ups who are listening in, too. And did you know this? All over America, and in other countries as well, more than 200 newspapers feature the daily adventures of Dick and Pat. And each weekday, another episode of Dick Tracy, one of your favorite radio broadcasts, comes to you at the same time over more than 100 radio stations from coast to coast. So listen to Dick Tracy Monday through Friday. Don't miss tomorrow's exciting chapter in the adventures of Dick Tracy. This is the Blue Network of the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! 
Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Boys and girls, it's time for our first VE Day message. As a reminder, to ask you if you've started saving for that war bond yet. As you know, this month is the big seventh war loan drive. Now, maybe buying bonds isn't exactly a glamorous job, but few bo- uh, jobs are, especially the kind of jobs that the guys in the infantry have. Take Corporal John Orcutt, for instance. He was on the Siegfried line, and his job was repairing brakes and wire lines to see the communication service was maintained. During seven hard weeks of fighting there, Corporal Orcutt constantly braved enemy fire to fix broken telephone wires. And more than once, he lifted his carbine and picked off a few German snipers before returning to his repair job. Almost every move that he made was in the open, under steady fire. Corporal Orchid did his job and later was awarded the Bronze Star Medal. Are we here at home doing our job, buying war bonds and stamps? Remember that the war in Europe is over, but the war in the Pacific is still going on. It costs plenty of money. Uncle Sam will need just as much this year as he did last year. Money that we lend him with our purchases of war bonds and stamps. And now, Dick Tracy... In yesterday's story, Dick and Pat did their best to learn all about the neighborhood that had been terrorized by a gang of young hoodlums who called themselves the Nighthawks. Finally calling on Dick's old friend, Mike Flanagan, they learned of conditions that were mighty serious and made arrangements through Flanagan to meet a couple of the boys who had been victims of the gang, hoping that this interview might also explain the reason why the boys no longer went to their boys' club, run by Ronald Framer. Today we find Dick, Pat, and Junior in their car. Tracy is explaining to Junior some of the facts of the case. There you see, Junior. Pat and I went to see Mike last night. And through him, we'll be able to meet these boys. Uh, apparently, they're friends of his. That's right. He said they'd like to come in and have him tell them stories. Sounds like quite a man. Yeah, he is, Junior. One of the finest men I've ever met. And he's lived in the same house since long before the days of the automobile. But these nighthawks that you mentioned, what sort of boys are they? Are they about as old as I am? Well, I'm not sure, Junior. That's one of the things I want to clear up tonight. I thought I'd have you with us so the boys would feel a little more at ease. You want me to ask him any special questions? No, I don't think that'll be necessary. Uh, Dick promised Mike Flanagan that he wouldn't make the boys squeal in any members of the gang. I wouldn't want to do that either. Unless, of course, they'd been doing something serious enough to warrant it. Tell me, Dick, why didn't you treat that robbery just like any other case? Uh, you mean that business at Bickleford's? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure, Junior, that the job was done by members of this Nighthawk gang. If so, I'd hesitate to arrest the boys and throw them in jail. Gee, that's a decent way to feel, Dick. Oh, in the eyes of the law, they're regular criminals. Well, it's been my experience that jailing wouldn't cure the situation that exists. Uh, Pat. Yes, Dick? Uh, better pull over here and park the car. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Here we are. I don't want to go to Mike's house the same way we did last night. Uh, neither do I. That was milk bottles crashing within inches of my head. There must be a tough bunch around here. Glad you two are with me. Take this feet to the back of Mike's house and cut through the alley. That way, nobody will see us. I called my children today and told them to leave the back door open. Down this way. Golly, Dick, I just can't get it through my head why fellas from a neighborhood like this, or any other for that matter, wouldn't be glad to go to a club like the one Mr. Flame has given them. Well, that'll all come out in time. I hope we can clear it up before some of these boys have to go to jail. At least that'd teach them a lesson. Yes, Junior, it would. But not the kind of lesson I want them to have. Now, here we are. These stairs lead up to Mike's back door. Step in, step in. Hello, Mike. Hello, Dick Pat. Hello, Mike. I'm not saying anything to the young man till I get him into the light. Oh, so that's it. 
I wondered if you didn't like my looks or something. Looks have little to do with it where I'm concerned. It's a man's eye I look at and the feel of his handshake. Now, let's step in here. Now, sit down, sit down. My boys will be here any minute now. <laughs> my bones are starting to creak. It's this late spring that does it. Now, Junior, come over here and stand in front of me. Hmm. Good-looking boy. Shake hands. How do you do, Mr. Flanagan? You'll do. You'll do fine. And you're going to grow into a fine man. You can sit down now. Thank you, sir. Uh, Mike, uh, did you have any trouble getting the boys to come here? Not in the least. You see, the name of Dick Tracy is one to conjure with. <laughs> no, they said... Ah, uh, there they be now. Uh, you want me to let them in, Mike? No, Pat, I'll go. I always answer the door myself. All right now, all right. How that fellow stood it all these years, I never knew. Gee, Dick, he seems like a grand old man. He is, Junior. He's done more good for the people in this neighborhood than anyone else. Now, just go on in, the two of you, and make yourselves known. Remember, he made a Dick Tracy to you, but he's just as much a friend of mine. Well, here they are, Dick. Oh, come in, boys. I'm Dick Tracy. This is Pat Patton, and this is Junior. How do you do? Hi, fellas. Well, speak up, speak up. Has the cat got your tongue? Well, there'll be nothing to do but for me to make the introductions. Dick, this little man is Roger Sweeney. Hello, Roger. And this one is Fabian McAllister. Hello, Fabian. Now, say, how do you do, or I'll snatch you both bald-headed. How do you do? <laughs> well, sit down, boys, and don't look so scared. Come on over and sit on this couch alongside of me. Plenty of room for the three of us. Gee, thanks. I'll sit in the middle. <laughs> Here, how's that? That's okay. Say, the fellas call you Fabe? That's right. It's short for Fabian. I'm kind of glad I do, because I don't like the name Fabian. I don't see anything wrong with it. It's no worse than going through life being called Junior. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you laughing at, Roger? Oh, I was just thinking of what you'd say if you knew my middle name. What is it? Oh, I don't want to say. Come on, Roger, tell him. Honest, Junior, it's no worse than Fabian. Yeah, go ahead, Roger, tell me. Well, I'll tell you if you promise you won't call me by it. Okay, it's a promise. Runnymead. What? Runnymead. Gosh, that is a name. Runnymead. Yeah, some of the guys found it out and they began to call him Runny Nose. Boy, that was a day. I guess Roger had to lick three guys the same day. Yeah, that's the day Fabe and I became friends. He came to my rescue and wouldn't let the other fellas pile on me. He made them let me take them one at a time. Gee, that must have been something. And by the way, Roger, it looks as though somebody has been calling your names again. Where did you get that black eye? I said, where did you get that eye? Do I have to tell? Oh, I don't think Mike will insist. After all, a man's got the right to have a black eye once in a while. Gee, certainly a beaut. Purple, blue, green, and a little touch of yellow. Say, what does the other guy look like? <laughs> uh, tell me, Roger. Have you been to Mr. Framer's boys' club lately? No, I haven't, Mr. Tracy. Neither have I. Now, what's the reason? I remember you used to tell me how much you enjoyed it. Well, well, I I on it one at a time now, one at a time, so we can get the straight of it. You tell him, Rog. Okay. Well, we wouldn't mind going to the club, but the rest of the gang lie in wait for us and give us the works. That's why he got this eye. Sure, that's where he got that eye. He went up there to finish a ship's model he started, and they gave it to him on the way home. Yeah, and he busted in last night and wrecked the place. Broke all the airplane models, swiped the tools, and just made a mess of the place. And that's why we come here tonight, Mr. Tracy. Roger and I talked it over, and we thought if we told you all about it, you could put those guys where they belong. Yeah, it's been going on for months. And it's just because we won't join their gang on night walks. That's right. I got a note last night. It was shoved under my desk at school. It said, I better join up while I have the chance. But I'm not gonna. Neither am I. Well, it was only last night some woman had her point stolen while she was walking along the street. Now, I'd never do a thing like that. Yeah, that case was reported to me. Gee, it was? Yes, and I had a pretty good description of the boys who did it. For once, the woman kept her head. 
Of course, she was excited when she called me up, but her description was mighty accurate. Accurate enough so we could send men out looking for the boys. Yeah, I bet you don't get them. What makes you so sure, then? Gee, I feel the same way. Why are you both so sure? Because they've been getting away with stuff like that for months. Why, Johnny... Uh, the... Name, no names. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Flanagan. It's all right, Fabian. Go ahead with your story, but be a little more careful. Yeah, okay, I'll try to be. Well, you know, I've had some experience in matters of this sort, and always the gang has to have a hideout to operate successfully. You think these boys have? I'm sure of it. Gee, sounds as if they were a professional gang. They are, Junior, and mighty well organized. Any idea how many in the gang? Oh, I'd say between 15 and 20. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question I'm sure you won't mind answering. Uh, what are their ages? Oh, they're all about like us. Maybe a couple years younger, some a couple years older. And I suppose, like all gangs, they have a leader? Well, all I have to say is that Pat and I are going to put a stop to all this. And we're going to do it right now. Gee, would you want us to spread the weight around that Dick Tracy was after them? No. Not a word of it. No, sir, I forbid it. You boys aren't to say one single word about meeting and talking with the inspector. And I agree with that completely, Mike. Now, I'm going to tell you something about my plans. Maybe you two will be able to help me a little while later. But for the present, mum's the word. You know, Dick, this may not have been such a good idea of yours to prowl this neighborhood. I don't like the idea of getting knocked on the skull with a brick or something. Well, I want to learn a little more about the neighborhood, Pat. And I want an excuse to get out of the house and leave the three boys alone. Uh, they certainly seem to hit it off with Junior. Uh, when we left, they were going in one of the back rooms of Mike to look at his collection of pictures of battle flags. Turn this out, Pat. I stop right here. Hey, what's up? We're being followed. Danger in the shadows. No noise now. Couple of boys. You think you were trailing us? I'm pretty sure of it. I know how we can find out, though. Follow me. Hey, what are you going to do? Walk around the block a bit. See the same two boys. Wait a minute. I see them. They just passed under that street light ahead. And they were joined up by two other boys. Now they split up. And the pair that followed us have gone on. A new pair away from the other side of that house. And one of the second pair of boys is the brown leather jacket on. Yeah, I saw that. And they're pretty good, too. Well, if I didn't know better, I think they were grown men. Come on, Pat. Right. Then we turn this corner, duck in the nearest doorway. If they come. Did you see that, Pat? I sure did. Come on, let's go. In a moment, we return to the Tracy. But first, boys and girls, it's second message time on this VE day. You know, when we buy war bonds, we're lending our government money to buy many things, from bombers down to bullets. Yes, and those small bullets are plenty important, too. Just ask anyone in the infantry. They use millions of them. And when they don't have them, well, that's not going to happen. Not as long as we continue to deliver the goods. And that reminds me of a story about something that happened in Italy when the going was toughest. An American machine gun section had been fighting off a determined German assault. They had succeeded so far, but they desperately needed more belts of bullets. Fifty yards away from the group was an American infantryman who sized up their sized up their, their situation. Grabbing a box of ammunition, he ran courageously toward the machine gunners, with rifle bullets hitting inches from him, artillery shells bursting within fifteen yards. But he delivered the goods at the risk of his life. Have you been delivering the goods? Those machine gun bullets can't go forward without your war bonds, and your war bonds start them on the trip to the front. Send our fighting infantrymen the ammunition they need. It's up to you and up to me, to all of us to buy those bullets with war bonds.
And now, back to Dick Tracy. Robbery. 44 East Boulevard. Cars 9 and 5 proceed there. That is all. Step on it, Pat. Immediately, Tracy's thoughts turned to the gang known as the Nighthawks. It's just another of their crimes. You'll know tomorrow, so tune in again, same time, same station, for the adventures of Dick Tracy, directed by Wiley Adams, and this is George Gunn speaking. Boys and girls, every day, thousands and thousands of new friends join the ranks of fans who faithfully follow the adventures of Dick Tracy and Pat Patton. We don't mean just youngsters either. No, indeed, there are plenty of grown-ups who are listening in, too. And did you know this? All over America, and in other countries as well, more than 200 newspapers feature the daily adventures of Dick and Pat, and each weekday, another episode of Dick Tracy, one of your favorite radio broadcasts, comes to you at the same time over more than 100 radio stations from coast to coast. So listen to Dick Tracy Monday through Friday. Don't miss tomorrow's chapter. Listen to Dick Tracy on the Trail of the Nighthawks. This is the Blue Network of the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Protector of law and order. Picnics are a lot of fun, aren't they, boys and girls? Going out in the country, building a fire, and... Hey, just wait a minute. Speaking of fires, do you make sure that your fire is out when you're through using it? It doesn't take much to start a blaze living through the woods, you know. It can be started by a dying campfire, started by a cigarette carelessly thrown away. It's so important that forest fires be eliminated. Huge quantities of wood are still needed for such critical war uses as the building of PT, landing, assault boats for the Navy, truck bodies, paratroop gliders for the Army, fiber containers, wrapping food, uh, wrapping paper for food, blood plasma munitions. But every year in the United States, over 200,000 forest fires continue to destroy our wood supply. Can we prevent them? Well, you bet we can. For it's been estimated that seven out of every ten of these fires are started by us, by Americans who mean well, but who are just plain careless. So the next time you go on a picnic... Have a good time, but remember these rules. Crush out cigarettes and pipe ashes. Break matches in two. Make sure your campfire is out. Your care will prevent forest fires. And now, Dick Tracy. In yesterday's story, remember how Dick and Pat continued their escape on the horses which they had stolen from their captors. It was soon evident to Tracy that the mountain trail was so narrow that they would be unable to put into effect his original plan to elude his captors were not far behind him. A series of signal fires on the surrounding mountain peaks told Tracy that they were in trouble. Yet soon after daylight, there appeared on the trail before them a native who gave them food and water and offered to guide them to the safety of Mount Mushagi. Even though he suspected a trap, Dick was forced by circumstances to follow the man. In today's story, we find Dick up and about after a restful sleep. 
Pat, as usual, is sound asleep, and Dick has to shake him awake. Listen. Come on, Pat. Wake up. Oh, lay off, will you, Dick? I haven't been as comfortable as this in months. Pat, wake up. Don't you remember where we are? Oh, holy smoke, that's right. Yeah, we're in that stone house. We're prisoners. We're not prisoners. What's that? That's right, Pat. I've been awake for quite a while now. I opened the door, walked down the corridor, even stepped outside in the yard. You mean no guards? You, you could do it just as you please? That's right, Pat. I believe I could have walked off if I wanted to. You know... I might be wrong about this, but I'm not going to suspect these people until they make their first move. They've shown us the hospitality, and we're going to act accordingly. Now, what was that? Telephone? Oh, don't be silly, Pat. That sounds just outside of our door. Maybe somebody wants to come in. Let's see. Now, what's it? Someone's standing over near that stone column. May I approach, gentlemen? You certainly may. Again, I bid you welcome to Mount Nushagi. I hope that you had a very pleasant rest. We slept very well, thank you. We've been awake for some time now, wondering what we should do. There really is nothing for you to do. You are to conduct yourself as guests. You are to do as you please and go and come as you please. Ah, the servant is here with your food. I took the liberty of ordering an early meal for both of you. Please advance. Please put the food on the stone table near the window. Instead of eating my normal meal early in the morning as I usually do, I have waited to join you. I hope I have your permission. You certainly have, and we're both pretty hungry. Then let us partake of the food without further delay. If you and Mr. Patton will sit on the stone bench there, I will make myself as comfortable as I can here. Look at the size of it, me. You will find that I have ordered food which is as much like your usual breakfast as it was possible for me to get. Mm-hmm. Jeez, it must taste well. You know, the first thing you know, I'll change my opinion of this whole business. I have checked with my couriers concerning your trip back on the mountain trail. It must have been a grueling experience. It's certainly one we wouldn't want to do again. I am forced to apologize for the two criminals who had captured you. Unfortunately, I am not able to control the actions of bandits and thieves. Until they come within the circle of my influence. You mean, you don't know the men who capture us? Of course not. Mm. Uh, then this stuff about the final collie rubies doesn't mean anything to you? Fortunately, and I mean fortunately, I know nothing of the Fanakali rubies. Of course, I am familiar with the legend, as everyone is in this part of the country. Well, that makes me feel a little better. You see, we were under a false impression. We thought we walked right into a trap. A trap? Of what sort? Well, you see, Tongo, we kind of thought that the Father Cult people had a earmark for sacrifices during the ceremonies. Sacrifices? Believe me, gentlemen, although it may not look it, we here are civilized. Our civilization is at least 2,000 years old. And while it is true, we have learned how to treat suspicious strangers. We have no misgivings whatsoever about you, Mr. Tracy, and you, Mr. Patton. To us, you are an open book. As Dick and Pat seemed to relax in the presence of the old man who was called Tango, far above them, up near the very ceiling of the high stone room, through a small hole cut in the wall, two pairs of eyes glared down on them. They were the eyes of Savali and Muhammad Ali. <laughs> this is indeed a pleasure. You can see them well. Yes, and strangely enough, we can hear almost every word they say. It's very amusing to hear Tango put them at their ease. Little do they know that when the sun reaches the notch in the sides of Mount Moshaki, they will see the 
Yes, the gongs for the first rites should be heard every moment. Then it is time for us to take a place before the altar. Shall we go? One moment. Look down below. They are getting up. Let us see what Tangu does to them next. The gongs. Wait. We still have time. Let us watch them. And if we are still, maybe we can hear what they say. Be quiet. Yes, never my intention to keep the rubies. My only interest was in bringing the two murderers to justice. I plan to return the rubies as soon as ownership was properly proved. And now, if you have the time, we would like very much to follow you on a tour of this place. I'm sure we'll find it very, very interesting. Dango is leading them out the door. They are going to the inner chamber, the one twice removed from the altar. Then let us go quickly to the gallery in that room. I would not want to miss what is going to happen to these two incidents. very much larger. In fact, it is one so large, it can contain thousands of people. You mean it's a cave? Originally, it was a cave. But my ancestors, many hundreds of years ago, chiseled the rock into more comfortable quarters. Uh, tell me, Tango, what is this room used for? This room has a very special use, which you will learn later. Our voices sound funny in here. Yes. The polished rock in this room reflects the sound of voices so that even the slightest whisper can be heard. Do you mind if I try it? You are just here. You are at liberty to do as you please. Well, if you don't mind, I, I'll just try out this whispering business. <laughs> well, now, what do you know? <laughs> try it again, Pat. I wish I was home. I wish I was home. <laughs> well, there's no doubt about it. I wouldn't want to tell any secrets in here. But tell me, why is it then that our regular voices don't act the same way? The frequencies in our regular normal voices are a lot lower and wouldn't be reflected as readily as whispers which really have no tone. Well, it's all great to me. Yes, this room has heard many whispers. In fact, I would like to give you a demonstration of my own. Go right ahead, Tondo. We'll be glad to see it. Then if you two gentlemen will stand right over here, I will show you something very amazing. Please do not move from that spot because the success of the experiment... Depends on your being absolutely still. All right, Tondo. We'll stand perfectly still. Now, I shall go back to a spot right in the doorway of this room and stand there. Uh, this gives me the first tip. I shall now whisper a few words. Are you ready? Go ahead, Tondo. Anakalimodo. Anakalimodo. Get out, Jake. The bar is open. Jump for it, Pat. I can't, Jake. The sides are too sliding. I'm slipping. I can't hold on either, Pat. Look out, Pat. Look out, the lights for the opening! Oh. Oh. Is that you, Pat? Pat! Pat, where are you? Are you hurt? I don't know. My legs are numb. I don't seem to be much of anything. <laughs> hey, what's that? Well, you know a cardinal. 
episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. 
I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Pat, it may be evidence. Then again, if we left it out there near the pit, the curries might backtrack and run across it. 
Uh, what do you want to do now, Dick? Well, I thought I'd ask Pat to empty the chest just to be sure we haven't missed anything. Well, that's okay with me, Dick. While he's doing that, Sheriff, you and I can get busy with this parchment map. Uh-huh. I think I have the key to its secret. Uh, Sheriff, what do I do? Just shovel this hand out on the floor? Yeah, you can do that, but it's your own responsibility. If my wife should come back from her visiting and find all that sand on the floor, I wouldn't want to be you. No, sir. Well, then what am I going to do with it? Well, just shovel it into that box over there. You want to dump it, carry it outside. And be sure you sweep up after you're done, too. <laughs> Let's you and I get working on that map, Dick. I'll spread it out on the table over here. All right. Now I'll get these old lead bullets out again and start where we left off. Mm-hmm. You know, Dick, if anybody was to look in that window and see us playing with these bullets, they'd think we're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. This odd-shaped one goes over here. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And this one goes on this spot. And this bullet goes over here, where this mark is. Oh, Dick, this is a map, all right. Well, it fooled me at first. Outlines are so dim, I wasn't sure if they were weather stains or something like that. Uh, uh, but see here. Just follow this line. Yeah. See? Follows the shoreline. I sure does. Well, let's see. We've got some more of those bullets to place. Uh, doesn't that one go over there? Uh-huh. Mm. Yes, it does. This one here. Yeah. And here. Sure enough. That's all. What do you make of it, Sheriff? Well, uh... Steady, Sheriff. Uh, what's the matter? Oh, I saw someone looking in the window. I'll jerk out this light. No, no, no. Just stand still. All right. Uh, Mr. Blackwood. Uh, it's Bennett. What do you want? Well, I'd like to come in, please, sir. Well, come on. What's the idea of pounding around through the windows? you want to get shot? Uh, no, sir. What are we up to, Bennett? Well, I just want to tell Sheriff Blackwood something. Well, go ahead. Can't you see we're busy? Yes, sir. I see you're busy, all right. But I thought you wouldn't know about that dog of yours. Oh. Say, that's right. Old Dan, I forgot all about him since we found this chest. Well, I've been as far as the edge of the swamp listening for him. And? And I still hear him, Mr. Blackwood. I can still hear him playing the way he does when he's trailing. Well, I'm sure glad to hear that. It's just like I said, Dick. You don't have to worry none about the Curry brothers as long as Dan is trailing them. Wherever Dan is, that's where the Currys will be. Uh, please, uh, what do you want me to do, sir? Benefit, you just go on doing what you have been doing. Stay out there and keep listening for Dan. When it sounds as if he's treating him, you let me know. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Blackwood. Uh-huh. I looked in the window when I came around the house and saw Mr. Patton digging out the trash in that treasure chest. That's right. Uh, did he find any skeleton bones? Not yet, but he may any minute. So you better get out of here and listen for Dan. Yes, sir. Yes, I'll, I'll go right away. Oh, uh, Sheriff, take a look at the map. Huh? I'm trying to puzzle it out while you were talking to Benefit. I traced the lines with a pencil. It looks more like a shoreline than ever. It certainly does, Dick. But I know all the shore country around here, and I don't recognize where this... Oh, me. Benefit. What are you doing here? I thought you said you were going right out. Well, I was, but... But what benefit? Well, I heard you tell Mr. Blackwood you you thought that was a map, and I heard him say that... Well, uh, I mean... Uh... Are you trying to tell us you recognize the shoreline on this map? That's it, sir. Well, why didn't you say so? Well, you didn't ask me first off. Then I'm a little bit scared of monkeying with dead men's problems. Uh, tell me, benefit. What do you think this site is? Oh, me. I know just where it is. I trapped right in that section all last winter. It's right down the shore about three miles from here. It's a place called uh, Cook Cove. That's where they found the body of the ship's cook. Oh, please, Mr. Blakewood, let's not talk any names. Are you sure of that benefit? Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, right here where, where you got the bullets in the sand dunes. Of they ain't exactly like them bullets are because the tide and the wind has changed them some, but they're still there all right. Those dunes is all around the cove. Dick, I think benefit's right. Yeah, but what do them bullets mean, Mr. Tracy? I know they mean sand dunes, but what else? Uh, Dead men by there, maybe? That's what we're going to find out, Benefit. And you're going with us. No, Mr. Blackwood. That ain't right. I, I, I do want to go digging around here. I ain't afraid of the curse. Come but... on. We're going down the shore. Oh, Pat, get the 
tractor out again. Okay, Jake. And you get out all those shovels and tools again to get a benefit. Uh, but, Mr. Blackwood, please, I, I don't want to go there. I'm afraid of digging around like that. And besides, there's a storm coming up. And then I got, got to stay around here and listen for Dan's being. You told me that yourself, Mr. Blackwood. That that's exactly what you said. Ignoring the protests of benefit, Dick, Pat, and the sheriff loaded tools on the tractor and set out for the cove shown on the map. Meanwhile, the Curry brothers haven't been idle, keeping the sheriff's dog, Dan, on a leash made of Oliver Curry's belt. They're making their way slowly deeper and deeper into the fastness of the swamp. Oliver Curry in the lead with old Dan stops for a moment on the swampy path. Let's stop here for a minute and listen. Quiet, Dan. What is it you're listening for, Oliver? I thought maybe I might hear whether they're after us or not. I'm getting fond of this dog. I wouldn't want him to take him back. Oh, you think more of that dog than you do your own skin. No, that ain't so. You're the one that had some sort of plan for this dog. All I wanted to do first was tie him up, but you made me bring him with us. <laughs> and I'm kind of glad you did. Uh, I don't see what you stopped for. With that dog making all that noise, you never could hear anything. Maybe I couldn't, but he could. Couldn't you, Dan? <laughs> well, the way he's acting right now, nobody's following us. Oh, let's be on our way. We've got to make camp pretty soon. Ah, you hear that? We either get set now or we take a wetting. All right, Jason. You lead the way. Where are we going? We can circle around and head toward the cave that's on the edge of Cook's Cove. But that's right back to... Of course it is. Well, just take a look at that sky. That storm's going to last quite a while. We've got to stay dry. Okay, you lead the way. We'll take the shortcut back. I want to stay as far away from the shore as I could, but if this storm gets as bad as it looks, we'll have to take a chance. Keep that dog quiet. He smells game. I don't care what he smells. Quiet. Quiet, then. Quiet. Quiet that dog or I'll find him for good. Shut up, you. Quiet, then. Stop it, I said. Now you keep that dog quiet and follow right behind me. We've got to hurry to beat that storm. Come on. Uh, So stay right close on my heels. Quiet, you fool dog. Shut up. He hears something. I don't see how he can with that little That'll teach him to be quiet. Now listen. I know what that is. That's the sound of a tractor. Pulling through the sand. That's what Dan was barking at. And the reason he was barking is that he knows the sound of that tractor. It's the sheriff. What? You'll see. Good dog and eyes, Dan. If that's the sheriff, hey, from the sound, they're headed the same way we are. That's right. Towards Cook's Cove. Maybe they're headed for the same cave we are. Oh, that can't be. They wouldn't be coming out to Cook's Cove in the storm unless unless it was something important. Well, come on, Oliver. we got to get up on the knoll so we can see what this is all about. And Oliver, keep that dog quiet. Or I'll shoot him. Oh, you can't scare me that way, Jason. I know you wouldn't shoot, Dan. For two reasons. First, the sheriff would hear the shot. And second, you got some trick you want to play with this dog. Ah, you're right. And it looks as if the time has come. Let's get up on the knoll so we can see. If it is the sheriff and those two northerners, we may be able to learn what they're doing out here. Come on. moment, we return to Dick Tracy. But first, boys and girls, 
You know, the Gangbusters show is based on real-life police cases. And each program points out how useless it is to try to fool the police. But some criminals are clever. They commit what they think is the perfect crime, where every bit of evidence is covered up. But somewhere along the line, they leave at least one clue. Maybe small, but that's all the police need. Gangbusters traces the whole solution of a crime right up to the point where the criminal is caught. And here's something else exciting. Every week, the Gangbusters program will present a clue at the end of the show. Reports of people wanted by the police, descriptions and so forth. Since Gangbusters started, over 1,900 clues have been broadcast, and from them, 92% of the people wanted have been caught up with. So you see, the show isn't just a good story. It's the real stuff. That's how Gangbusters cooperates with the police departments throughout the country to prove to crooks or would-be crooks that they don't have a chance. I think you'll like Gangbusters when it comes to this station on September 15th, exactly two days from now. Now, back to the victory. How much fight is here? Just around the next June. You only get shelter from the storm when it breaks? Well, I don't know of any, but maybe benefit does. As Dick's party approached Cook's Cove, the Curry brothers took their position on a knoll on the other side of it. Tomorrow's story will tell you what happens. So tune in, same time, same station, for the adventures of Dick Tracy, written by M.C. Brockhausen, directed by Wiley Adams, and this is George Gunn speaking. Dick Tracy doesn't have a crystal ball to help him solve the mysteries he's always getting involved in. He uses plain, ordinary detecting. Well, maybe there's a little bit of luck involved, too, but not too much. You'll have fun watching Dick Tracy track down a case to its final solution. The adventures of Dick Tracy are heard every day, Monday through Friday, over more than 100 radio stations coast to coast. You'll want to join the thousands who have the Dick Tracy listening habit. Dick Tracy, protector of law and order, will be heard tomorrow at the same time on the case of the buried treasure. This is the American Broadcasting Company. Behold, Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot on surprises and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude, Calabunga, to the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Browsers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F E N I X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy, on the case of a man without a head. Stand by for action. Let's go, man. This is Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Boys and girls, when you get into an argument with one of your friends, 
Do you see his side as well as your own? Well, you know, there are two sides to every story, and nothing illustrates that better than this. George V. Denny, Jr. is the founder and moderator of America's Town Meeting of the Air, and Mr. Denny keeps what appears to be a black ball on his desk. When an argument starts, he picks it up and asks, what color is this ball? Well, naturally, you'll say black. Whereupon Mr. Denny, with a twinkle in his eyes, will contradict and say white. And then he'll twirl the ball around his hand so it becomes obvious it's black on one side and white on the other. Well, that's just Denny's way of emphasizing that people usually see only one side of an argument. And that's just the kind of thinking on which his famed America's Town Meeting program is based. Giving the American people the views of famed experts on both sides of national and international issues so that they hear all the facts and finally form their own opinion. Here's the next session of Denny's popular America's Town Meeting tonight on the American Broadcasting Company. And now, Dick Tracy. You remember in yesterday's story how Dick and Pat were assigned to find a man suspected of murdering three women. Presenting Tracy with a file, the chief showed him a picture of the man he wanted brought in. That is, a picture of the man, but without a head. For when the picture was taken, the suspect had the good fortune to have his head blocked out by a passerby. Well, naturally, Tracy was at a loss to know what the man looked like. However, with the aid of the coroner, he was able to gain a lot of information about his quarry. And later, in discussing the case with his sidekick, Pat happened to mention that the dead girl had had an insurance policy which made her mother the beneficiary. But immediately, Tracy swung into action and had Pat drive him at breakneck speed to the mother's home. Listen. Now, please don't look so frightened, Mrs. Smith. It's about Hazel, isn't it? Yes, it is. Has something happened to her? Well, Mrs. Smith, I don't... You mean you... You haven't seen your daughter lately? Not this week, Mr. Tracy. But please, what's happened? Is she ill? Has there been an accident? Mrs. Smith, there... There has been an accident. I can tell from your expression, Mr. Tracy. Please, Mr. Tracy, go on. Don't keep me in suspense. What's happened? Mrs. Smith, I'm... I'm sorry to have to tell you that... Your daughter, Hazel, is... is dead. Uh, Maybe I can get you a glass of water or something, Mrs. Smith. No. No, never mind. I'll be all right in a moment. How did it happen, Mr. Tracy? The authorities have been trying to reach you for the last 48 hours, Mrs. Smith. I've been out of town. I've been visiting friends in the country. Please don't try to spare me, Mr. Tracy. I'm all right. Mrs. Smith, your daughter, Hazel, was murdered. Murdered? Yes, Mrs. Smith. When did it happen? How? It happened two days ago. About 5.30 in the afternoon, as near as we can tell from the coroner's report. Did it happen on the way back from work? That's what we're inclined to believe. Your daughter was a victim of murder by violence. Oh, no. The marks in her throat indicate she'd been attacked by someone very strong and powerful. Oh, poor Hazel. I pleaded with her and begged her to live at home with me, Mr. Tracy. But she insisted that she live a life of her own. Oh, I knew no good would come of it when she took an apartment with that other girl. And now this has happened. I'm sorry I have to tell you these things, oh, Mrs. Smith. I understand perfectly, Mr. Tracy. And I'm sure that you're here to be as, as much help as you can. That's it, exactly. Where is she now? Well, because we weren't able to reach you, her body was placed in the morgue. Just a moment, Mr. Tracy, while I get my things. I want to go to her. Uh, please, Mrs. Smith. That's exactly what we don't want you to do. But I... Now, I please, please sit down and listen to what I have to say. Are you sure there isn't something we can get for you, Mrs. Smith? Nothing. Thank you. It's, it's, it's just that I have a hard time keeping a grip on myself. You, you were saying, Mr. Tracy? Mrs. Smith, we don't want you to leave the house under any circumstances. But, but I, I don't understand. 
Judging from your manner, you, you act as if I were in danger. There's a possibility of that. I'll try to explain it to you. As a result of my examination, I've found that your daughter has amassed quite a sum of money. And also had recently taken out an insurance policy on her life, making you the beneficiary. Yes. Yes, I, I knew that, Mr. Tracy. She told me all about it. But what has that to do with danger toward me? In all crimes, Mrs. Smith, we first look for a motive. And in this case, I believe the motive was money. Oh? Your daughter's savings, which she kept in the house, has disappeared. Oh. And the insurance policy, naming you a beneficiary, represents quite a tidy sum to anyone who can lay his hands on it. You, you mean someone might make a similar attempt on, on my life? That's the possibility I have in mind. Tell me one thing, Mr. Tracy. Have you any idea who did this to my daughter? We have. In fact, I can show you a photograph of the man. Oh? Unfortunately for us, you'll see that the photograph isn't complete. Here. Here it is. Hazel, hey, that's a picture of my daughter walking along the street. Yes, Mrs. Smith. But you, you spoke of a man. Yes. Right here. Oh, complete. Except for the face. Yes, Mrs. Smith. Uh, tell me, could you possibly identify the man from this photograph? No, Mr. Tracy. No, I thought not. And unfortunately, neither can we. And you think this man was the murderer? We're not sure, Mrs. Smith. But all the other people in the photograph have been investigated and are under no suspicion. I see. There only remains the man without a head. Now... Let me go over this whole matter carefully with you, Mrs. Smith. Yes. I want to impress on you the importance I attach to your staying right here till I give you permission to leave. Step by step, Tracy and Mrs. Smith went over the events leading up to the murder of her daughter. Meanwhile, sitting in his apartment in another section of the city is the man shown in the photograph, the man without a head. Opposite him is one George Scanlon. Listen. Relax, George, Relax. You sit there on the edge of that sofa as if you're ready to jump out the window. I don't know how you do it, Hoppy. It's getting so you act as if you had no nerves at all. <laughs> I haven't, George. You can't afford to have. But this makes three of them. So what? This is only the beginning. But how do you spot these names, Hoppy? That's what I want to know. Oh, it's simple, George. I just hang around the banks, watch them cast their checks, follow them home, and see what they do with the money. Yeah. Why, take this last dame, Hazel Smith. I followed her for five weeks before I figured she was worth knocking off. Twelve hundred bucks cash... It isn't so bad. But how'd you find out about this insurance policy? Right, that was simple, George. This dame lives with another one. I just waited till they were both out working, got into their apartment and searched. And you mean to tell me you're going to make a try for the five grand that this dame's mother's going to get? Five grand is a lot of money, George. I did it the last two times, and I guess I can do it again. I'll just wait till I'm sure the insurance company has paid her off, and then watch me go to work. Ah, that means we don't do anything for a couple of weeks, sir. No, you're wrong there, George. I don't believe in letting the grass go under my feet. Let's see, it's about five o'clock, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And let's get going. You mean you've got the finger on another one? Let's go. You might at least let me know where we're going. Why, George, we're going to take a little walk up near the park. There's a certain young lady up there I've been wanting to speak to for the last couple of weeks. She's pretty good looking, George. You'll see her come out at 25 after 5. Come on. Take the time, George. Yeah. It's just about 25 after 5. And she ought to be long any minute. Now, remember, we're just a couple of guys from out of town. We've lost our way. Okay. Act dumb, George. Here she comes. Watch it now. I beg your pardon, miss. Oh, oh, oh you startled me. Oh, I'm sorry, miss. I didn't mean to startle you. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a question. Oh, oh that's all right. You just spoke to me so suddenly, that's all. <laughs> I... What is it you wanted to know? Well, we're from out of town, miss, and I guess we're lost. Oh. I wonder if you could tell us where we are. Of course, I know we're in the middle of a park, but I want to get down to the theatrical district. Well, I'll admit you're a little bit off the track, but it shouldn't be too hard to set you right. 
If you'll come along with me as far as the park entrance, I'll show you the bus to take. That'll be very nice of you, miss. Uh, where are you from? We're from Ohio, miss. We just got in last night. We're looking for jobs. Oh, you probably worked in a defense plant and were laid off. That's right. Yeah. Don't look as if we'd find anything here either. Oh, have, have you tried the employment agencies? Yeah, we sure have, miss. They don't hold out much hope. Oh. You know, miss, I have an idea. Hmm? I don't want you to think it improper, but how about having dinner with us? Oh, oh I'm afraid I couldn't do that. Oh, you have other plans? Uh, no, it isn't that. It's, it's just that I don't know you gentlemen. Well, now, wait a minute, uh, miss. There's nothing to this except a dinner. On our walk around the park, we saw a nice restaurant not far from here, and I was just going to suggest that we go there and have a meal. Believe me, miss, it's, it's just to be kind of lonely. And that's the story, Mrs. Smith, as we have it up to the moment. Excuse me a moment, Mr. Tracy. My phone is ringing. Mm-hmm. He certainly took it well, didn't she, Dick? Yes, but I'm sorry. I had to be the one to tell her. That's one of the hard things about this job of ours. For you, Mr. Tracy. Your office is calling. Oh, thank you. Inspector Tracy. Inspector, this is the desk sergeant. Yeah, what is it? We just got a report from the cops on the park patrol. There's some dame up there that has hysterics. I thought you want to know about it. But go ahead, sergeant. Well, it seems that a couple of guys picked up this dame, sold her the idea of buying her dinner. Well, it turned out the way it usually does. They parked cops have her in the lobby of the apartment house at the north entrance of the park, trying to quiet her down. There may be no connection with what you're working on, but I'm just following your orders. Well, thanks, Sergeant. Pat and I are right up there. All right, you find the cops and the girl in the lobby of the Belmore apartment. Right. Well, what's the matter, Mr. Tracy? Uh, nothing really, Mrs. Smith, but Pat and I have to leave on a routine matter for a while. Oh. I'll station one of my men outside your house for protection, and... Please obey my instructions. Don't leave your house under any circumstances till you hear from me again. Yes, Mr. Come on, Pat. Let's go. Okay, Dick. And the sergeant said I had a girl in the lobby. Right in here, Inspector. Take it easy. She's in pretty bad shape. Well, good evening, miss. My name is... No, no, no. Steady, miss. Get a grip on yourself and answer my questions carefully. Steady, miss. In a moment, we return to Dick Tracy. But first, have you boys and girls heard about the corpse who was shot six times when only two bullets were fired? Well, pull up a gun and sit down. You see, it happened during a gangbusters program. The whole show was built around a corpse who had been shot six times. Well, standing by to do the dastardly deeds were two sound effects men armed with guns. Number one sound man was supposed to shoot six times. But just in case his gun jammed, Number two sound man was to use the cover gun. And if anything happened to that, another gun, that's gun number three, would certainly work if number two failed. Well, came time for the kill. Gun number one fired once, twice, and then the gun jammed. Gun number two, the cover gun, didn't go off at all. And gun three, the cover, cover gun, just gave it up as a bad job. The six-time shot corpse had been killed with two shots. A fact that was pointed out in more letters than the program likes to remember. Usually, when somebody is shot on gangbusters, they're shot but good. Oh, yes, the show makes good listening. And here's the news. Gangbusters is now heard every Saturday night on most of these stations of the American Broadcasting Company. Now, back to Dick Tracy. Get on that phone, Pat, until the operator to clear the wire. A tri-state alarm. Descriptions of both of these men are to reach every one of our offices within 15 minutes. Hey, Dick. Operator, this is an emergency. Clear the line to headquarters. Startling developments take place tomorrow. Tune in again, same time, same station, for The Adventures of Dick Tracy, written for radio by M.C. Brockhausen, directed by Wiley Adams, and this is George Gunn speaking. Like a fish takes to water, that's the way Dick Tracy takes to excitement, the way thousands of people all over the country take to The Adventures of Dick Tracy. 
Dick Tracy and Pat Patton never know what their next case will be. But they do know that whatever it is, it'll be full of thrills and excitement. You want to listen every day, boys and girls, Monday through Friday, when the adventures of Dick Tracy are heard over more than 100 radio stations from coast to coast. Keep up with Dick Tracy, protector of law and order, when he's heard tomorrow in another thrill-packed chapter, same time, same station, on the case of the man without a head. This is the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! Let's go, man. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Well, boys and girls, here's an interesting bit of American Broadcasting Company gossip. Arlene Francis, she's the blind ache girl, and Mark Chase, the sheriff of Canyon County, are going together on Friday nights. <laughs> well, don't get the wrong idea. It was arranged not by Cupid for the sake of love, but by our program department for the sake of entertainment. You see, these are two of our half-hour Friday shows. And when we fix it so that the sheriff and Arlene Francis come along on the same evening, it means you get top listening. Well, first of all, there are those six servicemen who try to date three beautiful gals by telephone. Well, sometimes the lines get crossed up, but the laughs never fail. They rattle off that repartee like veterans. And the best man wins the blind date. Then, after the FBI has caught its men and famous jury trials have decided the night's case, those are two more top shows, the sheriff of Canyon County takes over and leads you on a merry chase of adventure, laughter, intrigue, and suspense. I'll tell you right now, it's mighty hard to beat the lineup of shows we've got for you on every Friday night on most of these stations. We recommend it. So, how about tuning in tonight? And now, Dick Tracy. In yesterday's story, you saw how two criminals, Hoppy Dunn and George Scanlon, again threatened the life of a young woman who, Dunn, the man without a head, suspected of having quite a quantity of cash in her possession. Courageously resisting the attack by the two criminals, the young lady was able to escape and reach a nearby policeman who promptly called Tracy and Patton to the scene. After calming the young lady, she gave Dick a most accurate description, which he immediately had Pat send out over the teletype. Then, leaving the young lady in the doctor's care, Dick and Pat returned to headquarters to await word from the teletype broadcast. It is at headquarters that we find him today. Listen. Yep, that young girl up in the park certainly had a close call, Dick. If you hadn't been able to break away from those two guys, it's possible they might have knocked her off. Yeah, you're right, Pat. And it proves once again that no one should ever get mixed up with strangers. Yep, you're right. Well, I hope we get some returns from that tri-state alarm, Dick. The description that girl gave us was very accurate of both those guys. Well, with over 200 men on the lookout for them, Pat. Won't be long before we get some action. Inspector Tracy. Inspector, this is Lieutenant Burton of the Identification Bureau. Uh, yes, Lieutenant. I've looked through the rogues gallery. Don't seem to be able to find pictures of either one of the men answering your description. I'm having a further check made in Washington. No fingerprints, eh? No, Lieutenant. Unfortunately. Okay, Inspector. I'll call you back if we get anywhere with our investigation. Well, thanks. Pat and I will be here till we get returned from the teletype. Goodbye. Well, no trace in the rogues gallery of the men. So I guess we'll just have to wait. Yeah, that's what always gets me. Just waiting. Yeah, it does me too, Pat. Yep, there goes the teletype, Dick. I'm checking it, Pat. Maybe the first return. Okay. To headquarters from office number five. No return yet. On bulletin 61. No leads. Every man available on 24-hour duty. 
We'll keep you advised. Shane, Magruder. Mm, that's about what I expected. I'm afraid we're up against a pair of pretty clever criminals. Yeah, but in the meantime, these two guys may be trying to knock somebody else off, and that's why... Tracy. This is the inspector again. This is Lieutenant again, Dick. Reports are starting to come in from our other city. But they're all negative so far. And with your permission, I'll have the outside phone so I can switch through your office. Good, Lieutenant. I'll switch on the amplifying system. Okay, Inspector. You'll get a lot of routine squad car calls. You want to be bothered with them? It won't be a bother, Lieutenant. I want to be sure and get the reports as soon as possible. Okay, Inspector. That's all. Thanks, Lieutenant. Pat, switch on the amplifier. Okay, Dick. As the men from headquarters intensified their efforts to find the two criminals, Dunn and Scanlon, the very men that they were after have hidden themselves in a room in another section of the city. From time to time, George Scanlon carefully approaches the window overlooking the street and peers furtively between a crack in the curtains. Listen. The street's still clear, Hoppy. How about making a break for it? Make a break for it? You're crazy. The safest place for us is right here. How long are we going to have to stay here? I don't know. I get away from that window and sit down. I don't like this any better than you do. It's just like I told you, Hoppy. You overplayed your hand. Overplayed nothing. We're still all right, aren't we? Hey, sure we're all right. I'll bet every cop in the state's on the lookout for us. And yet you want to go out in the street. Just let me do the thinking, George, and we'll be all right. We've got plenty of dough and can stay here until the heat's off. Now, just don't... Who's that? How would I know? Shall I answer? Wait till I stand over here. Keep the chain on the door. Go ahead. Open up. Let me in. What do you want? I want to talk to you guys. What about? Never mind. Take the chain off the door and let me in. Just a minute. Chain it? Yeah. Let him in. All right. Come in. Thanks, buddy. Come on in. Sit down. Thanks. Now, what's on your mind? Oh, I just thought I'd come up and check up with you guys, see if you like the room. Everything was all right? Yeah. Everything's swell. We like it fine. That's good. Does this other guy have to stand behind me? No, I guess not. Sit down where the landlord can see you, George. You make him nervous standing behind him. Okay. So you like the room, huh? I said that once. I notice you guys don't go out much. No. We're just resting. How'd you like a radio up here? Shortwave radio? Now, what would we... Shut up, George. Look, brother, you didn't come up here for any social visit, and this business about the shortwave radio is a phony. What's on your mind? Well, I guess I might as well come to the point. You look like a couple of reasonable guys. As far as I'm concerned, I'm reasonable, too. I always say, live and let live. So what? I didn't make that crack about the shortwave radio for nothing. Go ahead. I've been listening to police calls, and I've been hearing the description of a couple of guys that are wanted on suspicion of murder. Of course, the broadcast gave the names of a couple of guys by the names of Dunn and Scanlon. So it couldn't be you guys, because you gave me names different from those. Quit kidding and get to the point. Okay. It'll cost you a thousand bucks. Why, you dirty Shut up, George. What's the thousand bucks for? Well, I figured you guys might have to stay in this room for as much as a month. That'd mean a little special service. Maybe uh, I could do a little shopping for you, see that your food was brought up. I might even be able to tip you off to any strange people in the neighborhood asking questions. Well, there are a lot of things I could do for you. One of them would be to keep my mouth shut. What, a thousand bucks? Sure, that's a lot of bucks, but there's a murder rap mixed up in this. Now, listen, brother. Don't get sore. I didn't say you guys were mixed up in that rap. I didn't say whether you were guilty or not. The only thing I say is that I know cops. It won't be long before they come around. That's when I'd earn my dough. Let me tend to this guy, Hoppy. Keep your mouth shut. A thousand bucks, eh? One grand. But I haven't got that kind of money. 
Now, if you'd said maybe 500... Oh, chiseling, buddy. This is murder, whether you admit it or not. Suppose we talk about no it. No more talk. It's dough on the line or else. You win. Well, that's what I like to hear. I know you're a couple of reasonable guys. I thought you'd see it my way. Shut up and listen to me. I don't see it your way at all. You got us over a barrel. You're putting the squeeze on us. Now, here's your dough. No, get out of here. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Believe me, you won't regret doing this. When the heat really gets on, I'll be able to give you a hand. Now, you just take it easy and leave everything to me. I'll see to it that you have the best of everything. Of course, that'll cost a little extra. Get out of here. Okay, okay, if that's the way you feel about it. So long. I'll be seeing you. Of all that dirty water. He might be listening. Why don't you let me finish? Not now, you fool. He's let us off easy. But a thousand bucks, Hoppy. That way we haven't got as much dough as we thought. And this guy isn't going to stop there. But he'd soon be back for more. What are we going to do? I'm thinking of that right now. Why don't we tend to him? Because we can't. Every cop in the world would be here, and then what would we do? You just keep away from that window. Let me do some thinking. Well, maybe this guy will play on the level with us. I wouldn't trust him an inch. If anybody offers a reward for us, he might even turn us in to get it. Now, George, we're in a tough spot. Well, I think I see a way out. Now, just don't bother me for a few minutes. Just let me think. Anything new, Pat? No, Dick. Just about the same story from all our offices. No trace of either one of those guys. You know, you think with the description as accurate as the one they have, the police would have picked up those guys by now? It can only mean one thing. The two of them have holed up somewhere. I'm going to put my hands on them in a city this size presents a problem. I suppose the only thing that would drive those guys out in the open is the lack of dough. That's right. If they have enough money, it's possible for them to stay hidden indefinitely. Mm, I don't know what else to do, Pat. I've covered every possible angle. It's your private way, Dick. Yes? Inspector Tracy, this is McGowan down at the Bureau of Licenses. Uh, yes, McGowan. I handle the issuance of rooming house licenses, and I just had a funny one come up. may not mean a thing to you, but I'm following your instructions. Go ahead, McGowan. I told you I wanted everything reported. Well, it's like this. A guy by the name of Burton, George Burton, runs a rooming house at 4321 Boulevard. Now, his license to run a rooming house ran out last week. Instead of obeying the notice to come and renew, he didn't do it. So we uh, sent an investigator up there. Yes? Well, he gets in to see Burton. Has to come down to the office and fill out the proper forms. Uh, you know the form. Is that the one that makes them tell the number of rooms and the number of people in the building and so forth? Uh, that's it. Well, Burton filled out the form all right, put the figure 10 in the place designated for the number of people in the building. And while I was watching, he scratched that out and uh, put in eight. Oh, two less, huh? Uh-huh. Eight instead of ten. So just for the fun of it, I started questioning him. I never saw a guy turn green so fast in all my life. Think there might be something to it? Well, it's worth investigating. We've had no return whatsoever on the teletype, isn't it? Oh, that's too bad. Well, I don't want to tell you your business, but if it was me, I'd get down there and see what's bothering George Burton. Uh, 4321 Boulevard? That's it. I hope I haven't sent you on a wild goose chase. Don't you worry about that, and thanks for calling me. All right. Good luck, Goodbye. Hear that, Pat? Yep. Do we roll? You bet we do. Come on, let's go. In a moment, we return to Dick Tracy. But first... You know, in addition to Dick Tracy, we here at the American Broadcasting Company have a lot of programs we like the whole lot. From time to time... I'm going to tell you about some of them. As a matter of fact, if you're listening to the beginning of our broadcast, you heard me talk about the sheriff and blind date heard on Friday nights. Another one of our favorite shows is the Quiz Kids. Joe Kelly is the master of ceremonies for the Quiz Kids. Of course, he's got all those answers down on his cards. What's more, do you know, it takes an entire research staff to supply him with a background for every question. But sometimes, those smart kids come up with an answer that the research department forgot all about and one that isn't written on one of Joe's cards. Well, then, says Joe, it's up to me to figure out whether they're right. And I've got 20 million listeners waiting for me to go way out on that limb. And after I get out there, cut it off after me. But the youngsters are with Joe every inch of the way. Because Joe knows how to make the whole affair seem like a wonderful game. 
He says it's this way. When you're enjoying yourself with the kids, you sort of become a kid yourself. Well, boys and girls, you'll have a lot of fun listening to the Quiz Kids. They're heard on most of these stations on Sunday evenings on the American Broadcasting Company. Now, back to Dick Tracy. Car 7, Tracy speaking. Cars 9 and 1, meeting you at Boulevard and Grant. Right, but no sirens under any circumstances. What happens when Dick and Pat reach their destination? Will the criminals suspected of murder escape? You'll know all the latest developments Monday... So tune in, same time, same station, for The Adventures of Dick Tracy. Written by M.C. Brockhausen, directed by Wiley Adams. And this is George Gunn speaking. Dick Tracy doesn't have a crystal ball to help him solve the mysteries he's always getting involved in. He uses plain, ordinary detecting. Well, maybe there's a little bit of luck involved, too, but not too much. You'll have fun and thrills watching him track down a case to its final solution. The Adventures of Dick Tracy are heard every day, Monday through Friday... Over more than 100 radio stations from coast to coast. You'll want to join the thousands who have the Dick Tracy listening habit. Dick Tracy, protector of law and order, will be heard Monday at this same time on the case of the man without a head. This is the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy, on the case of the man without a head. Stand by for action. Let's go, man. This is Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Well, here it is, first message time again, boys and girls. Now that our government doesn't need for us to take this time for war messages every time we take to the airwaves, well, maybe we can talk about a lot of things. And again today, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the American Broadcasting Company. That's the network you're listening to right now. I have often wondered if you've ever thought much about the way a network plans all the shows that you hear during the day. Plans them so that everybody gets a chance to hear his favorite kind of program. That's right. For instance, when Mom's home in the morning, we bring on a lot of of good, cheerful programs you can listen to while these ones you like, too. Programs like John McNeil's Breakfast Club, Breakfast in Hollywood with Tom Brenneman, and that show that's packed full of fun, Glamour Manor. Now, that's a sample of the morning shows we put on. Then in the afternoon, we start to think about you boys and girls coming home from school and the kind of programs you like best. That's why you'll find all your favorite programs right along in a row. Shows like Old Terry and the Pirates, and of course, the one you're tuning in for right now, Dick Tracy. And speaking of Dick Tracy, let's listen and now, the traitor. In Friday's story, he remembered that Dick and Pat had secured accurate descriptions of Hoppy Dunn and George Scanlon. But knowing the police were after them, Dunn and Scanlon had taken a room in an unpretentious boarding house and had planned to stay there until they thought it was safe to make a getaway. Meanwhile, Tracy had received a telephone call from a friend of his in the licensing bureau. A call which at first didn't seem to be a very strong tip. But you and I know that it's the real thing. And Pat in their familiar squad car, just pulling over the curb, a few houses below the one they intend to investigate. Pulling up behind them are squad cars one and nine. Tracy, please, Pat. This will be all right, Pat. We'll go back and see the other man. Give them their instructions. Okay, Dick. Hello, Fogarty. Hello, Inspector. What's up? We have a tip on a rooming house at 4321 Boulevard. 
A gown at the licensing bureau called me up about it. Seems that making out the form, the landlord made a mistake in the number of people registered in this house. And when McGowan questioned him, he got pretty flustered. Can you say this, Mrs. Fixer? Yes, yes, I'll admit that, but I can't afford to pass up the slightest clue. What do you want us to do, Inspector? Now, cover the front and rear of the house while Pat and I go in. And, listen, do it just as quietly as you possibly can. Try not to arouse the neighborhood. Okay, Inspector. My partner and I'll take the front and I'll tell the fellows in car nine around the back. And good. And I'll give you two minutes to get set. Right. You sure hope this amounts to something, Dick. doesn't look awful foolish if it doesn't. Well, Pat, I'd rather look foolish than find out later we passed up a real tip. Yes, you're right, Dick. We can't let the guy stay loose who doesn't hesitate to murder any time he feels like it. The boy seemed to be all set in front of him, huh? Look. One of them standing in the area way there smoking a cigarette. Looks as if he lives in the house. Yep, that's over him. Should have been fragging. He's making believe he's asleep on the lower step of the house. Hey, you think there's a sewer shade cut around the back by now? I think so, Pat. All you had to do was walk up the alley. Let's go. You ain't Pat. Now stand right here by the door, Jim. Mm -hmm. I'll tell him where's the telephone company. What is it? Uh, where's the telephone company, sir? Nothing the matter with my phone. Would you mind opening the door all the way, sir? I hate to talk to you, sir, to you, so just a crack. I can hear you all right, and you can hear me. I told you there was nothing the matter with my phone. Well, now, sir, it isn't your phone that we want to take a look at. It's the wiring that leads to the street. You see, we have a complaint from one of your neighbors that his telephone bell rings, and when he picks up the receiver, he hears voices. You know, old cross-talk. We've checked, and it's your line. Oh, well, that's different. I thought you'd just a couple of guys snooping around here. No, no, sir, this is a joke. Come on in. Make it snappy, because i got a lot of work to do. You know what it is these days. Can't get any help. I have to take care of ten rooms myself. Ten rooms, huh? Well, I mean, I mean, eight. Oh, I see. Uh, just where do you want to start in? Well, the lead-in from the main line comes from the back of the house and cuts through the wall, even to the first floor. We'll start there and check back to the breaking wire. And come on this way. Uh, look, uh, you don't have to hang around if you don't want to. You can go ahead and do your work, and we'll check with you before we leave. Good, I got a lot of work to do. But look, don't go busting in any of these rooms without knocking. Some of the guys I got here work nights and sleep days. Now, I'll be down in the cellar if you want me for anything. Yeah? This is Burton, the landlord. No what? I just met a couple of guys in the house who said they were from a telephone company. Wanted to check the wires. I think they're cops. What did you let them in for? I'd have kicked the door in if I hadn't. Okay. Give us five minutes. Okay. No, rough stuff. Anybody down there? Uh, yeah. What do you want? Is it all right if we go down? Good. Go ahead. Okay. All right, Pat. Put the cuts on them. Hey, what is this? Well, they keep those hands out here. Hey, don't put those things on me. All I right. I'm going to cut out the rough stuff. Hold it, Pat. What's the idea? I thought you'd do exactly as you did. I picked up the house phone at the end of the hall upstairs and heard your conversation. So you are cops, huh? Yeah, was that cops. All right. Get going up those stairs. Okay, Pat. And something to that iron pipe. We have to get upstairs. All right, you can take them out. I haven't done anything. Up against hey. this pipe and shut up. There. Okay, Dick. He won't get loose unless he tears the pipe out of the wall. Now, listen, wise guy. One word out of you and he'll come back and beat your head in. What floor are these men on? Come on, out with it. On the top floor in the back. Come on, Pat. You good, Dick? 
It was a smart thing to post the guys at the front and back of the building. I only hope they're the men we're after. Didn't get much in the landlord's conversation. This is the tap loaded. Uh, we're not one. The door isn't open. We'll kick in. Have you done here? Okay, Pat. Empty. Is it time to go out? That's all. Where's it go? It's all right, Pat. I recovered. Yes, uh, the door will be closed, Roger. Nothing in here. No fire escape, either. No back door. Well, there's going to be a piece somewhere, Dick. We have to search every inch of this place, Pat. You take the front of the house and I'll take the back. Look for a door that leads to the roof. Come on, now make it fast. I told them all right. But they didn't see us hiding behind the doors that came running upstairs. Let's go. Look at the good cops at the front and back of the house. We'll worry about that when we come to it. Hey, look, there's a landlord. They're getting handcuffed to my crate. What a break. Come on. Give it your guys. We know it's your rat. Go ahead, George. Give it to him. Hey, now, wait, wait. I'm... Okay, George. A thousand bucks out of his pocket. I've got it. Give me one hand pocket. Give it to me. I said, give it to me. Okay, okay. Now let's see if we can get out of this place. Let's try the back way first. Come on. Jake, when I search the front part of the house, there's no sign of him. What do you suppose he could have gone? Any door leading to the roof? A trap door or anything like that? Nothing, Jake. Let's go, Right. They must be out in the street. What was that shooting? Two men came sneaking out of the building you were in. We hollered into the house that they started running. Well, jump in the car and we'll follow the route they took. Yes, sir, it's all right, Inspector. My father tried to get him an eye car. He's the front guy, Dick. Put him up to the curb. Pull up, Matt. Okay. Keep your guns out of sight now. We don't want to start a panic. Judging by the number of people in the platform, a local train isn't stopped here for quite some time. All right. They'll probably try to lose themselves in the crowd. <laughs> some sort of commotion at the other end of the platform. Stand back from the edge of that platform. Get back there now. Oh, what's the trouble here? A couple of guys. A couple of guys just, just jumped down the track there. Look at Joe. Which way did they go? They, they, they jumped out the platform. They started to run up that way. I was just coming. Yeah, I'm going to run up with this tonight. I thought it was up from Martin. Martin. Here comes the baby. Yeah, it's all right, Pat. There's not a strike. And it's fresh. Yeah, I wonder where you could have gone. Use your flashlight. Look. I'm going to see you, Nick. Hey. I just had a chance. I'm going to try to die. I'll try to use the emergency exit. Let's go. I wonder who the nearest emergency exit is. That's the one you'd head for. I don't know, Pat. I think it's one of those exits about every block or so. Hey, come! I saw the tracks that gun. We tried to behave it. I see you, Dick. They caught the tracks. Come on! Come on, Pat! Put the fuck on that train! In a moment, we return to Dick Tracy. But first, all you boys and girls of high school age, 
Uncle Sam has a request to make of you. If you haven't finished your high school education, if you've been helping out during the war by doing needed war work, Uncle Sam wants you to go back and finish your high school course. You see, education is far more important than anything else to your future career. And there's another reason why Uncle Sam wants you to go back to school this year. By giving up your job now, you'll make it possible for some returning G.I. to have a job he needs to get him started in civilian life again. Seems to me that that's the very least you can do for our soldiers. They fought for it. Of course, many of them have died for it. So let's help the boys who come back. Let's help them get off to a good start. And you boys and girls can help by going back to high school. Learn all you can to fix yourself for your chosen career. Learn about world affairs, about science, about government. For you will be the statesman of the future. The continuation of a free and democratic way of life will depend upon your ability as an able worker and as a citizen in later years. So make those back-to-school plans today. And now, it's safe. Try one more shot, Hoppy. Come on, let's wait. Never mind that. What we want to do is to cross those kids' packs and get the train between us and them. Come on. That's what scheme does Hoppy Dunn have in mind. And will it succeed? You'll know more to tune in again, same time, same station, for the adventures of Dick Tracy, directed by Wiley Adams, and this is George Gunn speaking. Like a fish takes to water, that's the way Dick Tracy takes to excitement. The way thousands of people all over the country take to the adventures of Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy and Pat Patton never know what their next case will be, but they do know that whatever it is, it'll be full of thrills and excitement. You want to listen every day, Monday through Friday, when the adventures of Dick Tracy are heard over more than 100 radio stations from coast to coast. Keep up with Dick Tracy, protector of law and order, when he's heard tomorrow in another throw-packed chapter at the same time over the same station. It's the case of the man without a head. This is the American Broadcasting Company. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!